Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, the podcast that's been hurt too many times to ever truly enjoy the moment. On the show today, a brand new feature stolen shamelessly from 90s magazine land, it's Position of the Week. We've got the Community Challenge and the end of your first season with Sunderland. And it hasn't been all bad. For you, for me, awful. As the Bundesliga Challenge approaches the end of Season 2 on The Athletic, we've got Alex Stewart in off the TIFO. But before any of that, we welcome a very special guest from the Not The Top 20 podcast who's been putting his EFL knowledge to good use. It's Ali Maxwell. So we are lucky enough to be joined today by Ali Maxwell. Ali, thanks so much for coming on. For anyone who doesn't follow you on Twitter, what exactly do you do all day? Well, I am lucky enough to cover the EFL mostly on my own platform, uh, not the Top 20 podcast, which I set up with my friend and now very much serious colleague, George Ellick, about five years ago. Broadcasting is my number one dream and passion. Uh, and we're lucky enough to cover the EFL for Sky Sports, for Quest, which shows Saturday night highlights of the EFL and also some radio with Five Live as well. Uh, and then I host the Zonal Marking podcast with Michael Cox and Tom Warville for The Athletic as well. So I am kept very busy, but by all the best and most exciting things imaginable, basically. <laughs> and this is really the big test because you are the man with all of the knowledge and you've taken on the Sunderland challenge. And what I noticed straight away was you haven't wasted that knowledge. Just straight away, you've gone, I know all the players, so I am clearing this squad out and bringing in new people. Tell me who you got rid of and, and who you replaced them with. I definitely took the large cull approach. I think William Wallace is, is attributed with the quote, all men die, but not all men truly live. That was ringing in my ears as I started this challenge because I have watched <laughs> this Sunderland team and a lot of the players have been there for the full three seasons they've been in League One, your McGeedies, your Leadbitters, etc. Now there has been some churn in that time and nothing's really worked. And I very much took the approach that it was going to be more fun and I genuinely thought um, more beneficial in the long term if we just went at it with a pair of scissors. So I got rid of almost immediately Wyke, who scored a lot of goals in real life, but I didn't really want to be the man leading the line for me. Uh, Flanagan, McGeady, Leadbitter, all were out the door within a month. Some of them I had to pay to go to rivals in my division, which as someone who treats every penny on Football Manager as if it is my own real money, that was tricky. But I must say I've ended up with no regrets because none of those guys went to a League One rival, whether it was Portsmouth in McGeady's case or Blackpool in Leadbitter's case and did anything particularly special. And invariably, we beat them when we played against them. So that was the right thing to do. Uh, in, I actually sold probably more than I thought I would. I got rid of Gooch and Bailey Wright in January for a combined two million quid to Austin FC. At this point, um, I was doing quite well. I, had, I didn't actually lose a game until Christmas, at which point I tweeted you to tell you that I hadn't lost a game and promptly lost four out of seven. So let that be a lesson <laughs> to everyone playing the challenge. Uh, I did get over that blip in February and just around Easter time, in a three-horse race with Doncaster and MK Dons, who, if I'm honest, I was pretty happy to be up against compared to some of the other so-called heavy hitters in the division. We really pulled away, uh, won the last five games and closed it out for the title with uh, 96 points. So this was one of those brilliant football manager sessions where you're meant to finish and go to bed. Um, but 
you're winning. So you just keep playing because you keep <laughs> winning and you don't want to close the laptop until the job is done. So I was up a little later than I should have been last night, but all for good reason. I wish I'd done the same because I decided to just see what I could do with training and with tactics and what I could do was damn nearly get myself sacked. <laughs> Only just came through it and didn't make that mistake in the January transfer window. Who did you bring in, though? Who, ma- who was it who made the difference? I think first thing to say for everyone who's managed Sunderland, just in terms of the original squad, the main guys for me that contributed to the title were handsome George Dobson. Lovely George. Was a real heartbeat. He played in front of the back four for me as a deep-lying playmaker on defend. And we were a very attacking team. We pressed high, we kept possession, all those lovely things that we all think we'd be able to do if we were real life managers uh, and we can pretend that we're good at on the game. Uh, it, it all worked pretty well. We had the second highest average possession in the league. Uh, we scored the joint most goals. So in terms of the attacking and, and exciting football they were after, I think we achieved that and Dobson was a big part of that. Dion Sanderson as well, a player that I really like in real life, was brilliant. I actually retrained him as a central defender, which worked very well. I also bought him permanently in January for 220K, and I can see him being quite a big player for me over the next few years. Max Power, I listened to your podcast with Connor, and uh, although I'm not a massive fan of Power in real life, he is excellent on the game. And then Embleton, him and Luke 9 and Denver Hume, they were all sort of solid squad members, I'd say. But the real stars were... Perry and G, who I bought from Crew, he's a, a right back or centre back, mostly played right back for me. If I ever have a, a daughter, he will marry her. Uh, he won every <laughs> single award that was going uh, within my own club. In terms of the signings, I bought three strikers. None of them are the type of players that Sunderland in real life would buy, which was partly my reason for buying them. With mixed success, so Elijah Adebayo I bought from Walsall. Uh, in real life, he moved to Luton in, in January and, and looks a really good prospect. He only scored 13 in 37 starts. Uh, Jeff Cut I bought in January from Plymouth. He only got four in 13 starts. And Colby Bishop from Accrington got 11 in, in 17 starts and 19 off the bench. So those guys were my sort of key strikers that I brought in. Didn't actually contribute that much in terms of goals. Uh, but Kalen Hines was probably the star, in, aside from Perry and G. Hines is a classic football manager talent who's always seems to be on a free. The scouts always say he's got good potential. There's a few sexy attributes like flair and dribbling, and it's, it's easy to get drawn in by him. Uh, and I bought him and couldn't have been happier, really. He, he scored 17 goals for me, top scorer. But he played in the hole sometimes, up front sometimes, off the left sometimes. He was a real spark for me. So Josh Knight I bought in January from Leicester for 70k. I think he's going to be a bit of a star. I bought Siriki Dembele from Peterborough also in January. Ebu Adams from Forest Green. Essentially, Ian, all of the players that I really like talking about on my podcast, I brought them to Sunderland. <laughs> and lo and behold, it all clicked and we were champions. So let that, you know, there you go. It all clicked. So as the, um, the the starter's gun goes after this podcast finishes and we kick on with part three, which is the first half of the second season. Now, for you, that's going to be in the championship. Realistically, what can you achieve? I think I'm aiming pretty high, but I won't be spending a lot of money on transfer fees. I've got a million quid in the bank. I'd be really interested to know what most people playing this challenge have in the bank at the end of this season. And I literally saved and quit as soon as I won the title. So that's the kind of date that I'm looking at. I cut the wage bill pretty heavily. Uh, I think it starts at 160K a week and it's currently 125. So I cut it by 20%. My big thing at the start of the challenge was I want to be promoted, but I also want to get to the championship, not 
at my max wage bill. I want some sort of wiggle room, quite a lot of wiggle room, in fact. So uh, I've got that. I've got 185K as my initial wage budget, which is 50% increase on what my current wage bill is. And uh, that's what I'll be looking at. I don't get anyone in on loan. That's one of my kind of weird rules on Football Manager. I just, it's kind of the Brentford model where why would you develop someone else's player when you could develop your own who could be an asset for you to sell on further down the line. So uh, my average attendance, I think is going to be the highest in the championship. Big difference in TV money between League One and Championship. I think an extra six million quid. So I'm expected to be a bit of a heavy hitter, I think. And as I say it, I'm worried because the last time I got bullish with you about this challenge, I promptly lost four out of seven. But there we go. (laughs) That's my target. I'd like to reach the playoffs. There you go. Ali Maxwell, hostage to fortune. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can we find more of you? Well, all the podcasts basically start again in a week's time. That's the Zonal Marking podcast, which is uh, with The Athletic, not the Top 20 podcast. We'll have lots of uh, season preview content over the next week or so. And then Sky Sports on Friday nights is probably your best bet if you want to see some of the more televisual action that we provide. Nice work. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ali. Thank you for having me. Now, As you know, this podcast is made by The Athletic. And because you're clearly the discerning type, a chap or chapess who values the finer things in life, like properly resourced journalism or detailed discussions of video game strategy, you probably already subscribe. But if you don't, I've got three reasons why you should. One, the new football season is only a matter of days away. You should be reading the best stuff, the stuff that's well-researched and well-sourced. You deserve that. Two, they've let me write about video games. That means loads of FM content in the pipeline. And three, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash gaming, you can get a year subscription for £3.33 a month. That's ridiculous value. So that's theathletic.com forward slash gaming for £3.33 a month. The Football Manager Show Community Challenge. It's week two of the Sunderland Community Challenge and uh, and once again we play the Docklands Light Railway Station to your flash flood of emails and tweets. I've had some amazing stuff here. Producer Steve, how are people doing? Yes, we have Ian. So obviously you put out another poll on Twitter to check how everyone is doing this week and we've got... 37% of people who answered your poll have got promotion, which is good. Good for them. However, for just shy of 22% of people, so 21.8%, we've got people who are going around for a second turn. And I'm assuming that's because the first time didn't go so great. The other results were 22% or so roughly didn't get promotion, but they also haven't been sacked. So in this purgatory of facing another season of League One with Sunderland. And 18% were sacked and have had a bit of a... Torrid Tyne. But on top of that, Ian, how are you doing? <sighs> well, like the... Um, oh, I just Everything was fine until yesterday. I had 10 games left. I was top of the table. They were playing brilliant football. And then we drew three games on the bounce and every single one of them we dominated. But we're just hitting the woodwork again and again and again. Then Jason Cummings got injured. So I had to walk away. I've, I've played five games, hadn't won a single one of them. I've got five games left. I've dropped to fourth. It's not like anything's really changed. It's just we had all of the bad luck. And I think I kind of deserve it because a lot of people pointed out on Twitter in the first half of the season, Lee Burge, my goalkeeper, was far and away the highest performing player. 
And we were lucky. We got a lot of results that we didn't deserve. And it's all evening itself out now. And I tried to go back and play it this morning. But I feel physically sick when I open the <laughs> laptop now. Um, oh, and and I'd, I'd say I'm going to go and play it after we've recorded. But I think I'm just going to go for a long walk. <laughs> so you're sort of in a bit of a spiral then? It's just gone. Like I say, we didn't deserve to lose any of those games. But now confidence has plummeted. I don't even know how I'm going to turn it around. It's tricky though, isn't it? Because you just keep ploughing through, even though you sort of, for whatever reason, superstition otherwise, it's like, I just need to keep playing games and eventually I'll, my luck will turn. But in the meantime, you might lose those results. Or as you say, you just go for a long walk, have a chance to sort of gather your thoughts and think, oh, maybe it's that. Honestly, at, at this stage, I think we have to just tear it all down and just pretend it's a brand new season, five games left. We're already in the playoffs. So I think it's five games to try and get our shit together and then hopefully win the playoffs. But my God, my God. It, just yesterday was awful. The laptop almost went out the window. <laughs> God. So obviously, even though in the, in the poll that you put out this week, there was a majority who did achieve promotion. Some quite similar to where you're at at the moment, as in they're sort of going to probably hit the playoffs and the absolute lottery that the playoffs can be some have already played the playoffs of course and came close but just not close enough and one of the people who did that was Lewis Broadley who writes this in and I would warn you to brace yourself because I think he feels quite similar to how you were in terms of laptop nearly going out the window so Lewis writes bloody Sunderland I hate this club Craven and Inept is a powerful combination but Sunderland somehow always managed to be both our defence was woeful for the end of the season run-in and our last clean sheet was back in February. We blew the automatic promotion places by losing two games back-to-back in mid-April. I then rotated, knowing we were destined for the playoffs, so I wanted to keep my best players fully fit and refreshed. 1-0 up in the 90th minute at Wembley. Tight marking, more disciplined instructions, with me shouting, FOCUS! from the touchline. Naturally, that means my defence leaves Rodriguez completely unmarked on the penalty spot. Bergen goal just lets the ball straight through him. From that moment on, I knew we were going to lose on penalties, which of course we did. My retribution on this collection of dust will be swift and ruthless. I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, I think right there is the reason why 40% of people who've played this game have been sacked. Um, (laughs) Bloody Sunderland. Has anyone done well? So, yeah, I mean, unlike Lewis, there have been some successes. So, for example, James Flaherty and Oscar Loughling have actually got promotion via the playoffs, so they didn't fall at the final hurdle, unlike Lewis. Stephen Cole earned automatic promotion, although just by a single point. And Justin Taylor and Paul Chandler did also get automatic promotion. Danny Commons went up as champion and Gabe Soda is top at the moment. All in all, there have been highs and lows across the Community Challenge. And some interesting ones as well. Matthew Atkinson got in touch to say that he'd won the title, but then he'd jumped ship to Bournemouth shortly before realising they only had 10 players. Um, You know, a lot of people would judge that quite harshly. I don't. I think he realised just how awful Sunderland was, (laughs) even when you're winning. As a football club, not a place. The place is wonderful. Once again, I have to apologise. We've had so many messages and tweets and everything. I've tried to mention as many as we can, but obviously quite a lot slipped through the net. You're probably wondering who wins the prize this week. And it is Brent Baldwin of the Sunderland Till I'm Sacked blog. 
who pretty much won it with a line in the intro that just said, if you're not familiar with Football Manager, it's a youth exploitation role-playing game with some football tactics on top, which I think is the best way I've ever heard this game described. So he's going to get a prize. I'll be in touch with you, Brent, and we'll get something sent out to you. Brilliant stuff, everyone. Keep going. I I don't know if I can keep going, but you can keep (laughs) going. This week, we're going up to the end of 2021. And remember, if you get sacked, you can start again or you can apply for a new job. And if you're off the pace, don't worry. Feel free to use the experience of others to guide you. And if you're racing ahead, then you are the others from whom we seek guidance. There's no rules here, just guidelines. The objective is simply to squeeze as much as possible out of FM21 before we start playing FM22. After this, position of the week. The Football Manager Show, position of the week. So, position of the week, and this week we are with CJ Ransom from Sports Interactive, and we're talking ball-playing defender, and specifically, switch to cover. CJ, thanks for joining us again. Yes, happy to be here. Always delighted to have you here. Ball-playing defender, I see this and I instantly get the shakes, um, (laughs) because I don't tend to manage good teams, or they're at least not good after I've been managing them for a while, and a ball-playing defender just feels like way more risk. Why would you ever want to do this to yourself? Well, for the obvious reasons of playing the ball out the back, playing out of the fence, they're more suited to that style of play. I know you mentioned maybe you don't have the best teams you're managing, but even using one ball playing defender alongside a more orthodox defender, like a central defender, or even no nonsense, it can still make a difference in build up. Or if you don't have play out of the fence and you're playing a more direct style, you can use them for kind of the longer passes out the back. But it's more for starting attacks. I feel it's a key position, especially in the modern game, that you have to have in your team almost. So I'm guessing you'd want to give them as many passing options as possible. What, what sort of formation would work well here? Well, I love a 4-3-3. That's my go-to almost. So having them have a good relationship with a defensive midfielder. And I like to always have one of the wingers that are on support duty on the same side as my ball player and defender. So he's kind of got that easy passing option out wide and it's not always the player on his side going out wide, making the runs in behind. And maybe the runs in behind are coming from the opposite wing. So you get that big diagonal switch pass when it's on. So obviously you want them to be able to pass the ball, but what are some of the more overlooked stats that make a good ball-playing defender? So that's a great question. So like you said, of course you want them to pass the ball, but it depends on the quality and the right pass being made. So things like decisions, anticipation, positioning, of course, for the defensive side of it, and you want them to be in the right place to make the interception to then play the pass ahead. And slightly underrated as well, but also dribbling. Ball-playing defenders will carry the ball out of the fence and try and bring it into midfield and break lines. So you might have a player with great passing, but awful dribbling, so that's something to keep in mind. But you can also look at player instructions for that as well if you want to try and encourage or discourage it. Having him on cover, that would mean he'll hang back a little bit, wouldn't it? Yes. So it's almost like the sweeper role. I think Kyle Walker for England almost in the back three. I feel if you've got the player that had the acceleration and the pace, it's an absolutely key role. You kind of see what the modern games like with the counter-attacks, pacey strikers, players running in behind all the time. If you have a player that can do that and has the pace to cover and recover, it will also give you more license to push your wing-backs on or push your full-backs on, knowing that you'll have a centre-back that will cover their areas and, and do that job. So 
I feel it's not a role that people use too often, but it's definitely one that works really well in game and I use all the time in every tactic, really. If you get it working well, you're basically talking about a kind of extra midfielder. Almost, yeah. However, if it's somebody that can't play the role, maybe a bit too slow or not technical enough, then it will expose them. So it's one you maybe have to use with caution and make sure that you have had the right player with the right skill set. All right, that's position of the week. Thank you so much, CJ Ransom. Thank you. The Football Manager Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the mailbag, or the part of the show we unofficially describe as the non-Sunderland part of our correspondence. You've been sending your emails in, and Ian Aikman is first up. What's Ian Aikman got to say, Steve? So Ian says, hi, Ian. I'm a big fan of the pod and a long-time football manager player who's experienced similar struggles to you and to putting some of the tips from the show into practice. That's good. But despite that, there's an area I need help with, namely how to successfully make the step up to the next level following promotion. Ian has played a couple of long games of football manager with the likes of Notts County, Wickham Wanderers, Birmingham City, Brentford, and apart from one notable exception, the season after promotion was always a struggle. So he'd built a team of ball players, but it wasn't possible to batten down the hatches. But equally, they weren't good enough to live with the better players at the level above. So he asks, how can I adapt and avoid a season of tonkings and toil? Good use of the word toil there. So Ian, what would you say to Ian? Well, first things first, you need to look to real life. Uh, what does every team do after promotion? They invest in players. Uh, if I've learned anything from this Sunderland challenge, it's that you can make noticeable differences with tactics and training and set pieces, but you make big differences by simply buying better players. I've been really quite guilty of ignoring that. Buy leaders, good captains and multipliers on other players. Determination is the attribute that keeps players performing even when they're losing. Weak-willed players, and yes, Sunderland, I'm looking at you, <laughs> crumble. <laughs> bad results turn quickly into bad runs. Um, as always, maximise everything you can for those marginal gains. So get good coaches, do your set pieces, do specific training sessions ahead of appropriate games like defence practice when you play the league leaders or chance conversion when you're playing strugglers. And really can't recommend enough. Have a look on The Athletic. We built on CJ Ransom's interview last week for a sort of definitive guide to the dark arts. Because remember, if, if you can stop five hard-fought nil-nils from becoming unfortunate one-nil defeats, that's probably going to be the difference between relegation and survival or survival and mid-table respectability. So hopefully that will help out, Ian. Just on top of that as well, is there a bit like you were describing earlier with Sunderland? What point for you... Do you sort of go, okay, actually, I do need to make changes here. Do you have like a five game rule, a 10 game rule? Where does that fit for you? I think there's no hard and fast rule, but Alex Stewart found with Stuttgart when he he went on a run of five or six games without a win, all the numbers, because there's so many analytics tools in built into this game. He, when he looked at the numbers, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was out XGing uh, to, to put hmm. uh, everyone he played against. So it was just a case of trying to keep cool. But But sometimes... You know, you, you can watch the games and you can see you're getting absolutely battered. It can help just to throw in another defender, just go with a back three for a bit to try and minimise the number of times you're getting torn apart and then sort of try to build from there. A lot of people run into problems where they try and get their, their team to play better football than they're actually capable of playing. So counter-attack can help if, if you're a little bit weak. But like everything, and again, I say this as someone whose form has just collapsed on the run-in, 
the game is evil. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes, sometimes it's just going to come up and get you. Yes, exactly. Well, Ian, I hope that advice is helpful for you. So Tom Sharp has also been in touch and he types, the Sunderland Community Challenge sounds excellent, but you'd already inadvertently tempted me into a different challenge. So a few podcasts back, you mentioned the creator club mode. I think you created a Scottish outpost for your management skills. So Ian, do you want to remind us of what that one was? Oh yeah, Macton Town in the uh, in Scottish Division 2, the fourth flight of, of Scotland. Uh, it's great creator club because you can sit there and edit in all the players. What you probably do is just edit in yourself. But it's basically a blank canvas. You've got nothing at all and you just go out there and pick up free transfers and, and things right from the start. So it's it's a weird way of playing the game, but it's good fun. And I guess the only comparison in real life would be when, for example, in Major League Soccer, a brand new franchise like we saw with Inter Miami, picking up the likes of Kieran Gibbs and Ryan Shawcross, for example. Exactly, exactly. So that was that creative club mode that we mentioned a few episodes back. And of course, you can find that episode on the Football Manager feed. So if you scroll back through on whichever platform you're on, you can find that episode if that interests you. Tom continues to say, I'd never even looked at it before, but decided to give it a go, setting up T-Club FC in honour of the tea-drinking friends I haven't been able to share an office with for the better part of 15 months, which is a sentiment I think many of us can relate to. The setup was straightforward. Replace MK Dons, add my five colleagues as current ability of 110, potential ability of 200, and additionally add them as players with randomly distributed attributes, with the exception of giving them all a determination of 20 to try to ensure they reach that potential. The goal is then to try and keep the stars of T-Club FC together until retirement and hopefully pick up as many cups as possible along the way. Now, as a fan of puns, I will, I will applaud that. Fittingly, it was a textbook Macintosh corner that kicked things off in the playoff final against Ipswich, setting up an immediate promotion with a 3-1 win after extra time. Best of luck with your Sunderland Challenge and thanks for the inspiration. Thank you very much for that email in, Tom. And Ian, for those who don't know, what is a Macintosh corner? Uh, it's the old near post corner. Flick it into the near post and put all of your big blokes there. There are lots of little variants you, you can do on it. You can have a short option to lure people out. You can put your strikers at the far post as decoys. But ultimately, good corner taker, good jumping, good heading can add 7 to 12 goals to your team every season. Next letter is from Timothy Connellan, who's writing in from New South Wales in Australia. I have a question regarding training new traits for young players. Is there a good time or age to start? And will training new traits negatively affect their growth in other areas? So, for example, I have a young Scottish wonder kid who's growing like a weed. I want to train him to play shots as he has high composure but I don't want to limit his growth in other areas. So what would your advice be there, Ian? So I went to Sports Interactive and they got back to me and they said they need to be suited to learning the trait. Now, there are in-game hints about this when asking coaches. Composure is obviously a good one for placing shots. A player's versatility and the number of traits they already have also comes into play, with a high number of traits making it harder to pick new ones up. There are in-game hints for this too. And yes, younger players are much more likely to learn something and more quickly, as with most training. Any additional training will add to the player's workload. Traits can also be picked up from other players in that player's training unit and especially from mentoring groups. So if you've got a player who plays killer balls and he's in a mentoring group with a young midfielder with good passing and vision, you might even see that trait just sort of emerge on its own anyway, which is something I didn't know. 
Hey, if you've got any questions, observations, reactions, anything at all, get in touch. I'm on imacintosh at theathletic.com or ian underscore games on the Twitter. The Football Manager Show Bundesliga Challenge. And now, tied up out back like a dog who can't be trusted not to bark whenever the wind rattles the letterbox, but what if that rattle wasn't the wind? And it was an intruder, and didn't you buy me at least partly for protection? Or was it just a lockdown thing? You know what? It was just lockdown, wasn't it? You disgust me, Sarah. People like you shouldn't have dogs. It's the FM Bundesliga Challenge with Alex Stewart. Hello, Alex. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Oh, that's good. That's good, because it could have been so different. Just before we go any further, spoiler alert, if you do want to wait for the FM Bundesliga Challenge to come out on Friday, stop listening now, because that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, But with that warning dispensed, Alex, are you being dragged out of the European places or are you pushing your way back in? I am pushing my way back in. It's like gingerly, you know, I'm I'm sort of, I'd like to say feeling more than pushing. (laughs) But it was it was going to be the month from hell. It was Bayer Leverkusen away, Dortmund at home, and then Munich away. And we got six points from nine. So pleasantly surprised. When you get weeks like that, because uh, I know you're, you're a deep thinker and strong on prep, is there anything you do different? Or is it, is it best just to keep to what you're good at? Well, this is the thing. I had that kind of twinge particularly. So after we beat Leverkusen, I was thinking, OK, we're going into Dortmund. Dortmund are are exactly the kind of team that punish us because they're really, really effective on the counter with particularly Sancho and Haaland up front. Should I tinker? And I didn't. I'm I'm doing my very, very best this season to remain steadfast in my approach. Uh, There are some player changes now and again. Sometimes they're mandated, sometimes they're tactical, but the system remains the same. And I think this is probably the most resolute I've been in a save <laughs> in the course of a season, not making changes and not tinkering too much. And it, it seems to be working. Well, I tried tinkering because I've still got this thing. The last time I scored a goal on the road was away against you sort of two months ago. So I tried to have a slightly more cautious counter-attacking side that just didn't get caught out so often. And it only got caught out once and we lost that game 1-0. So, yeah, work is still very much in progress. But I got a great result pretty much off the back of CJ Ramson's visit last week when he was talking about making a team difficult to beat. I mean, you actually were sort of plugged in and and watching the game against Eintracht Frankfurt Mm. where we were 0-0 until 20 minutes to go, scored, and then just shut everything down literally everything that cj said i executed and um, had a very boring last 20 minutes it was nice yeah but if if it works it works and i think sometimes particularly when you know you've had injury problems again you seem constantly beset by injury problems you've got this reserve goalkeeper in as well who is doing well but Discretion is the better part of valour if you're 1-0 up with 10, 15 minutes to go. This is not a bad tactic, and that's probably the one area that I'm still no good at, just tightening it all up and preventing a cataclysm, <laughs> because our fixtures tend to result in uh, in relatively high-scoring games. That's the thing, isn't it? You get caught between, this is working, I shouldn't make knee-jerk reactions, and why aren't I doing anything, this isn't working... Which, I mean, with, with Schalke, 
I like Schalke and I trust Schalke. And with Sunderland, as I discussed earlier, mm. they sicken and disgust me to my very bones. Um, we've only got two months left on this challenge now, April and May. You are currently fourth, am I right? Fourth or fifth, yeah. Yeah, so very much still in with a shout of Champions League places. Think you're going to pull it off? Well, the run-in looks relatively okay. It's going to be interesting because the final fixture of the season is away at Cologne, who are this season's surprise package. If you don't count Stuttgart and Schalke, which I think, think, to be fair, you can. Um, (laughs) So I think, yeah, they're currently in, in second, I believe. So that's going to be the one that we're sort of aiming towards. Everything before then looks relatively winnable. Which I'd say with obviously a massive caveat in my voice because we all know that it takes an injury or two and a loss of morale and all of a sudden you're in a spiral. But I'm feeling relatively confident. Not Champions League. I'm not penning my hat to that. But I think European football somehow, yes. All right. Well, if you want to find out more about that, go and check out the FM Bundesliga Challenge on The Athletic. New episode every Friday. And that's our show. We ask nothing from you in return, but if you do have the chance to, you know, give us a like or a subscription, or even if you're feeling really generous to write a review, that'd be awesome. Your producer today was Steve Hankey. Your guests were Ali Maxwell from Not The Top 20 Pod, CJ Ramson from Sports Interactive, and Alex Stewart of The TIFO. I am Ian McIntosh, and here is a recent council tax bill to confirm my address. The Athletic.